Hey folks, it's John here. It's been time for another round in the Bucky cast. Today I'm on a Taylor Swift theme. This episode's theme, Dressing for Revenge. Um, I don't know how many Taylor Swift fans there are out there. You never know uh, truly how many there are that might pop their heads up. Um, but that is from her song, Vigilante S-Word, because I can't swear on this podcast. Uh, but uh, it seemed appropriate because this is the uh, week two of the football season. They're going to play Washington State. Last year, they got embarrassed at home by a much inferior Washington State program. And so now uh, it's time to get a little revenge. And we're going to dress for it in, in Badger gear, as always. Anyway, we've got soccer news, volleyball news. It was a great weekend uh, for Wisconsin athletics, um, barring la- last night, um, which we'll get to in a second. Um, you know, it was it was a phenomenal weekend for Wisconsin. So um, we're going to talk we're going to talk soccer, men's and women's, uh, some volleyball, and then of course we've got to obviously tackle football. So. Um, without any further ado, ah, to, uh, to, uh, follow us, uh, at the Bucky cast on Twitter slash X. Uh, otherwise you can email us the Bucky cast three at gmail.com, or you can follow us, uh, give us, give us a subscription, subscribe to our channel on YouTube. It is of course, just the Bucky cast. Uh, we are, we are out on Instagram. Uh, I haven't put anything out there recently, but I'm going to. Plans are in the works, okay? I've got stuff. Regardless, um, that's how you get in. That's how you can get in touch with us. Um, us being me right now, still a one-man show for the time being. Anyway, let's get started. Let's go to some news and notes, first of all. Uh, Just a quick note for those of you who haven't heard this yet. Stanford, Cal, uh, two of the four refugee teams from the wreckage of the Pac-12, joined up with, for some bizarre reason other than rich boosters, uh, Southern Methodist University, or SMU from Texas. And they're joining the ACC. Makes no sense at all. Uh, As as nonsensical as uh, the four Pac-12 teams that came to the Big Ten were. This is even crazier. Uh, They really aren't going to get any money out of it. In fact, I believe that SMU for nine years will not get any TV revenue at all. It's going to be given to other schools in the ACC. Uh, They were that desperate to get into the Power Five. Well, Power Four plus two teams. That leaves Washington State, Oregon State, uh, in a zombie conference that really has no no motive other than to eat the brains of other conferences, uh, they are there are rumors that Washington State and Oregon State are going to try and hold this thing together and maybe poach like six other teams, maybe from the Mountain West, maybe from elsewhere, and try and reconstitute like a Pac eight or something and keep all the Pac twelve assets like their the Pac twelve network, um, their Power Five seat. Um, that would be crazy. Uh, I, I can't imagine, you know, any, the, the networks are all spoken for. They've already said, look, we don't have any money for you, Pac-12. So they're going to have to find a streaming service or something and pray to God they get a good deal. But, um, you know, they're they're hurting if they don't. Uh, if Washington State and Oregon State can't keep it together and have to join the Mountain West Conference, we're talking like a reduction of their income to like a, basically a 15% of what it was. And that's going to cause them troubles. And this actually is going to play a significant part later on in the show when we talk about football, because Wisconsin has to play Washington State, and they are none too happy with the Big Ten. We'll get to that momentarily. Uh, on, to, on to better news, women's soccer. Uh, the women's soccer team entered the week um, one one and two, so fairly solid, roughly five hundred record, and exited with a much better record than they had before. Last show, the very last show, I was like, "Where, where's the offense? 
where why have we only scored like two goals all season? You know, when is Wisconsin going to, you know, pick it up and score some goals? And almost like magic, boom, they drop three goals on LSU in a three nothing shutout. And then they go on the road to Western Michigan, beat them two one. So now three one and two, uh, which is a way better record and got a little juice to them now. Um, Emma Jazz, I keep, I, 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 I'm hoping we can get her on the show for an interview so I can get the correct pronunciation of her name because I can never remember it. Emma Jazz Kenyak, Jazz Kenyak, I think. Jazz Kenyak, Jazz Kenyak, regardless. Two goals uh, against LSU. Uh, I think she also picked up an assist against Western Michigan. Uh, the other goals were scored by uh, Arissa Mart. And uh, in that was in the LSU game against Western Michigan. It was uh, Maya Richters and Ashley Martinez. And Wisconsin does a weird thing on their roster where they list like half the team as midfielder slash forward or midfielder slash defender, which is kind of aggravating because you really don't know where they play. So I have no clue. I couldn't watch either game. So I have no clue where they were. Um, position-wise when they scored their goals. I'm assuming midfielder because um, otherwise I don't I don't know why they would be that close up. Um, I did see highlights of the goals. I just, you know, I didn't get to see any of the game. I wasn't there to watch. So that's one of the problems with not, you know, not being available all the time, especially on Labor Day weekend, is, you know, you don't get to see what happens. Um, regardless, Paula Wilkins with the win against LSU, that was her 300th career win, um, pretty significant milestone. So, uh, congratulations to coach Wilkins. Um, I, there, I had some other notes here. Hold on a second. And yeah, the, I, I made a note to myself scoring no longer an issue. Yeah. They put up five goals over two games. That's pretty solid. Um, next matchups coming up. Um, on the 7th, so this Thursday, they are at Loyola. I'm assuming it's Loyola of Chicago. There are two Loyolas, so I don't really know which one it is. I'm assuming it's Loyola Chicago. Uh, and then on the 10th, they are home against Marquette, the battle for Wisconsin. The blood feud that I didn't really know was a blood feud uh, until a few years ago when I found out how much Marquette fans hate Wisconsin. I, I've never really cared much about Marquette, but apparently there's a big rivalry, I guess. All right. I'll, I'll, I guess I'll have to live with that one. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so coming up, I think that is on Sunday. Yes, I'm pretty sure that's Sunday. So onwards and upwards to the men's soccer team, which had a weird but ultimately uh, successful weekend. Uh, the number 21 ranked, according to the, uh, the uh, soccer coaches poll, number 21 in the country. In a different poll, they were number 15. Uh, the men's soccer team, three and one now. Uh, they pulled off a massive upset at home against number two, Kentucky. Uh, one nothing in that one. Mitch Dryden had the goal in that one. Um, Maxwell Keenan with the assist. So big win. I would have loved to have been there for that one. Um, already been to one men's soccer game, wanted to get to more. Don't know if I will, but that sounds like it would, would have been an incredible atmosphere to be in. Um, so that was a huge win right off the bat. And then a weird thing happened last night uh, to finish off the Labor Day weekend. They went to uh, travel to uh, Illinois, Chicago. And you would think that that would be a fairly simple um, tie at worst. And instead, it turned into a 2-0 defeat, Wisconsin giving up their first two goals of the year to UIC. I don't know the condition of the UIC men's soccer program. I can't imagine it's that great. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're a soccer men's soccer powerhouse, but uh, I don't. I don't think so. Uh, anyway, Wisconsin dumped that one. They still got ranked though, and that that counts for something. I have a feeling they'd be much higher ranked if they had managed to pull off a win or a tie against UIC. 
But um, that's the way the cookie crumbles. They absolutely peppered the UIC goal and uh, had a number of corner kicks, but just couldn't punch it through. And that happens sometimes in soccer. It's just, you know, sometimes the goalie wins all the all the 50-50 balls and that's that's it. So yeah, they um, they got two players named to uh, team of the weeks. Uh, these are put out by different uh, hockey uh, or not hockey um, soccer um, periodicals. Um, Drew Brown made one defender. Defender Drew Brown, defenseman Drew Brown, uh, and Mitch Dryden, who is of course a forward, um, also made another um, team of the week. So accolades flying in for the men's soccer program if you get a chance to go to a home game uh do it because they are it's 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 a good atmosphere and it's free it's free you don't have to pay a dime if you don't want to come in with a bottle of water i did no one stopped me um yeah uh next matches they are i believe at home against mercer on friday there's a perfect time it's going to start to cool off. Uh, I've already looked at the weather forecast, and uh, the the heat is going to go away. And it's perfect, perfect soccer weather. I mean, fifty, low sixties, fifties at night. Go check it out. Uh, they also have to play uh, next Monday at Marquette. If anyone wants to do a road trip to Marquette, uh, if you've ever wanted to visit Milwaukee in the fall. Maybe maybe find some beer. Maybe they have an, an early Oktoberfest going on 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 the anniversary of 9/11. I don't know. Uh, it seems like a good day to drink, but uh, you can head down to um, Marquette. I don't know where their soccer field is. I may have to do that. Now that I think about it, that actually sounds like a good idea. Nah, I will we'll see. As I rub my chin thought, as I rub my stubble thoughtfully. Working on the fall beard. It's time for the fall scruff. Anyway, so that's what happened with soccer. Um, a pretty prolific week. I'm actually a little bit surprised that the women's team didn't like creep into the top 25. I have a feeling, you know, if they can pull off a win and a tie next week, they'll probably move up. But um, yeah, uh, and after I think this week, this next week, it's time to get into conference play. Like Big Ten conference play is already going to be starting. And I don't think even the football teams will have played more than like a handful of conference games in that time. So big times coming up. Speaking of big times, oh man, women's volleyball. Women's volleyball team still ranked number one. Went for a hell of a ride over the last uh, week. But uh, Wednesday and Thursday played Arkansas in back-to-back uh, road games, which is really weird. I don't see that very often in volleyball, but um, it happened. Uh, first match did not go the way Wisconsin had planned. Uh, they started off with a loss in the first set. They went down 25-21, then had to climb back into it 25-20 uh, in the second set. Won 26-24 on the third, and it looked like, hey, maybe things are going to go our way. Nope, nope, dropped the fourth set 25-22, and then managed to pull out the 15-13 win in the fifth. Uh, Arkansas absolutely pushed them to the very limits of their endurance. Um, Wisconsin was able to pull that, pull that match out. The very next night against Arkansas, totally different story. Wisconsin looked put together completely ready to play, wiped them out in straight sets. Hold on, let me see if I can grab my notes here. 25, 22, 25, 16, and 25, 17. That's just, after they, after a relatively close first set, I watched the end of that uh, match and they just rolled through Arkansas like they weren't even there. Arkansas had a particularly plucky team. They were far shorter than Wisconsin. Uh, by all rights, they should have had no business being in the first match, much less, you know, how they got blown out in the second. But Wisconsin is having major problems uh, with their defense uh, in the backcourt on uh, service returns. Um, the middle of the court has not been great. And uh, that directly reflects on your, um, 
your, your, your folks in the backcourt doing server seed. Uh, Temi Thomas-Alara has not really found her place yet at Wisconsin. Um, much fanfare bringing her in from Northwestern for her final year. It was supposed to be a huge weapon. We didn't see that this last week. Um, totally didn't see it. Uh, she had tons of problems in that Arkansas match, the first one, because I watched part of that on TV as well. And she she and Guljigovic Tekken were just having fits trying to return serves. And the defense, it, it just wasn't, there wasn't a lot of good things going on. Uh, Izzy Ashburn piled up a ton of assists as the uh, one of the two setters. MJ Hamill being the other, they piled up a lot of assists, but they had to because it went to five sets. And then on top of that, I almost forgot to mention Tennessee, Wisconsin's home opener, hanging the Big Ten title banner from last year against Tennessee. Tennessee, arguably not even as good as Arkansas, still took Wisconsin to five sets and gave them all they could handle. Let's see here, 25-16, 25-23, Wisconsin was up 2 nothing. And then the wheels completely fell off, uh, 1825 and 20 to 25. They they were they got rolled in the next two sets, and they pulled it out another 15-13 um, fifth set. But Kelly Sheffield's got to be looking for answers here. Um, his I was gonna say his setting has not been tremendous. It's not been horrible. I mean, a lot of people are complaining about it, but it's not been like, you know, these are this is the worst setting I've ever seen. It's better than last year's as they settle into that 6-2 system. But um, the, the service return has been awful. I mean, they have had a number of runs put up on them, and there's just no excuse for it. This seems to be a team that's very front court oriented, um, you know, getting the middle blockers in there and the, the attackers on the, on the wings. But, um, boy, that, the, the back line has just, just not been there. And I don't know if it's a rotation issue or, or what's going on, but Kelly Sheffield's got some stuff to still hammer out because the Big Ten's going to be tough this year. Uh, he's already beaten three ranked teams, one of them twice with Arkansas. But uh, Wisconsin's schedule is not going to get any better. By the way, that first match, Devin Robinson, Yeoman's work. Devin Robinson remains a superstar. Her and Sarah Franklin, Frank the Tank, has also been a superstar in terms of racking up kills, blocks. Uh, Sarah Franklin actually, it was, it was sort of a mixed bag with, with service return for her, but for the most part, she was doing an excellent job. Um, but, you know, you, you can only have so much of that. And at the same time, you've got Anna Smrak, who every time they get her the ball is, you know, delivering kills with force. I mean, scary kills. Uh, her and Carter Booth in the middle are almost unstoppable. Uh, six nine and six seven collectively, and both her and Carter Booth just put it back with with authority on kills. Uh, CC Craw- Carolyn Crawford, same thing. Uh, when Devin Robinson's over there, same thing. So they've got the block down. They've got the front court kills down for the most part. Um, but they are still trying to figure out what to do on that back line. And until they get that service return figured out, I'm very leery. Um, You obviously have to have Izzy Ashburn out there. I think she's leading them in assists right now, racking up service aces. Um, If she has not broken the record yet, which I don't think she has, she is going to in the next couple of matches for service aces in a career. And obviously our, our best server. Um, outside of her, I don't know that anyone really stands out back there. Yulia Orsel is actually, I think, leading the team in digs right now. Um, I'd have to look at the cumulative stats, but uh, she has had to play some libero because Gulje Guchtekin is kind of having a little bit of a sophomore slump. That doesn't mean Gulje Guchtekin is a bad player. It doesn't mean that um, she will not, you know, rebound later this year or next year even. And you know, be a be an all-American libero. It's just not there yet. So, um, still a great weekend. Um, you know, knocking off three ranked teams, getting three team, yeah, getting three wins. Let me rephrase that: getting three wins over ranked teams. 
in a week is a really good thing. And Wisconsin was not uh, 5-0 and as they are now at this point last year. So this is obviously a better team. Whether it is going to do better in the Big Ten uh, with Minnesota and Nebraska lurking out there, I don't know. But uh, good news for them is that um, they have they still have some time to work it out. Um, and this is still, like I said, this is still an, an uber-talented team. This is probably one of the five most talented teams in college volleyball right now, in women's volleyball. Next match is coming up. Uh, looks like Thursday they are taking on Arizona in Madison. And then they get Miami uh, the very next night. So another kind of, that is, uh, that, I'm sorry, a Pac-12 and a uh, ACC team now after having already played the SEC in the Big 12. So they're getting a nice mix and they still have that big match coming up against Florida at Florida. And that's going to be a, a battle of top five Titans because Florida is, I think, ranked third now. For the ABCA coaches poll with Wisconsin being number one, if they can hold on until that match and uh, get past, they also have to get past Marquette. So there's not a lot of guineas on the non-conference schedule, unfortunately. Um, moving on from volleyball, men's basketball, we have a scholarship offer, a new 2025 scholarship offer. I hope this is how it's pronounced. Xavier Mitchell, uh, 6'8", 6'8", 210-pound uh, power forward, um, plays in high school for Oshkosh North. Otherwise, his uh, AAU club is Phenom University. Uh, he plays on the same team as uh, Badger commit uh, Zach Kinziger. So there's that. I will tell you this right now. Xavion Mitchell is not 6'8". There's no way. Um, at best, he is somewhere between 6'6 and 6'7". Uh, I had to drag out some film. I am no good at evaluating basketball film. I really, I, I struggle with it because there are so many nuances, more nuances to that, I feel like, than there is football film, which I have watched for years and years and years and years and years. Um, basketball is a little, is a, you, you don't really get the sense. I think that's more of one that you really have to be in person to, to get a feel for. Uh, from what I saw, uh, he seems to be a kid who doesn't really function, despite the fact that he's not 6'8 as a power forward. He functions just fine on the court. Um, saw some blocks mixed in there. He can shoot from outside. Um, good getting to the basket. Uh, dunks a lot. Um, but then again, in high school basketball and AAU basketball, they all dunk a lot. Uh, but I did see, I did watch his the video of him playing against Cooper Flag. Cooper Flag is one of the top prospects. He's a five-star 2024 prospect. He actually reclassified from 2025 to 2024. Duke is after him. I think Duke is actually favored to get him. But he is another guy who's like listed at 6'8", 6'9". I don't know if he's 6'8", or 6'9". I think he's more like 6'8", 6'7". But he was still obviously taller than Xavion Mitchell. But Mitchell held his own. It wasn't like he was outclassed by this, you know, incredibly highly ranked player who had tons of scholarship offers. I've heard him described as a tweener. I don't really know that I can. It, it's hard to say a guy's a tweener when he he gets everything done on the court he needs to get done. Or it's looking like that at any rate. You know, when you're averaging over 20 points a game, you're collecting like seven or eight rebounds. That's not really, you know, he's, he wasn't out of place. Um, in fact, when I watched that, um, the highlights of, of the uh, matchup with Cooper Flag, um, he was most of the highlights for Phenom. So I, this is a scholarship where this is them taking a chance on a player who doesn't really fit their system in any, like, you know, in any sort of neat fashion. He's not a stretch power forward. I don't know that he has the speed and agility to be a small forward, but he just gets stuff done. And that's sort of been a Badger motto with their basketball players. Uh, Mitchell is definitely an achievable recruitment. He's listed as a four-star. Um, I don't know if he's that good. Um, he could be. 
Um, the, the rating systems for basketball are a mystery to me, to be perfectly honest. Uh, there are guys who get ranked that I'm like, I have, I have no clue how you, how you achieved a four-star ranking. Uh, but sort of like, I guess, I, I can't draw an analogy to Gus Yeldon. Gus Yeldon is a different sort of player than Xavion Mitchell is. But also, you know, Gus Yeldon listed at 6'8", 6'9". He's not 6'9". He's like 6'6". Six, 6'6 six. Six, six and a half. But uh, again, gets done what he needs to get done. So the Gus boss, Xavion Mitchell, Wisconsin seems to be accumulating Jack Robeson, uh, guys who don't really fit neatly into a specific forward package. Um, that's the best way I can put it at any rate. Uh, they're definitely going to need to get some height in the 2025 class because they are not, it doesn't look like they're bringing in any big men for 2024. And uh, I believe next I believe next season, if Stephen Crowell comes back, so the 2024-2025 season is going to be the last one he's eligible for. So once 2025 rolls around, it's going to be Nolan Winter and then, you know, just a collection of dudes who are much shorter than him. So Wisconsin definitely needs to go after at least a center and maybe a power forward as well in the 2025 class because right now they just don't have a ton of size. And uh, Xavion Mitchell, as good as he may be as a basketball player, probably not going to solve that issue any. Uh, moving onwards, we've got football. We've come to the football part. Let's recap Buffalo very quickly. There are a million Badger podcasts out there. They've all recapped Buffalo already. I'm finally done with my Labor Day weekend vacation. This is my chance to, to recap Buffalo. Uh, I was watching it surreptitiously. While uh, getting dressed for going out for dinner with my in-laws, I was uh, sneaking glances at it uh, on my phone under a table with the internet constantly cutting out because I was way up north. Uh, But from what I was able to see, this is what I came away with. Number one, um, I asked the question last week, is are Luke Fickle and Phil Longo going to call a conservative game plan? Or are they going to call it really, really uh, loose and uh, and really throw everything out there? And it was answered definitively a conservative play calling set. Uh, They did not go downfield very much. They did not ask Tanner Mordecai to do a whole heck of a lot. They didn't throw any really elaborate plays out there. For the most part, it was just a whole lot of running the football. And they did it really well as you would expect against a team from the MAC in Buffalo. Uh, Buffalo's defense did give them some problems. Um, they did throw, Tanner Mordecai did throw two interceptions, uh, one of which set up a Buffalo touchdown. So in that respect, their pass defense held up. Uh, Mordecai didn't get past 200 yards passing, which, you know, makes you makes you go, wow, you know, his final stat line, I believe, was like the 65 to 70% completion percentage, but like 190 yards and, and a touchdown and two picks. So you kind of go, mm, you know, I would kind of expect that from Graham Mertz. However, his stat line w- would have looked very much different if it had not been for a dropped potential 60-yard touchdown pass. Uh, Skylar Bell had it hit him in the hands, turned to look upfield before securing the ball, and it just popped right out, um, which was obviously mortifying for Skylar Bell. And then two plays later, Tanner Mordecai threw his first pick. So yeah, that was a water break, by the way, for those of you who are listening on Spotify or another platform, I'm not, I did not do a beer round table again tonight. Just a water break. Can't talk myself hoarse. Anyway, uh, Tanner Mordecai, like I said, Mediocre showing. It wasn't, I will say this, it wasn't awful. It wasn't like he looked like he didn't know what he was doing. He had very happy feet. Tanner Mordecai was dancing around in the pocket a lot. And uh, it was not necessarily because of anything that the offensive line was doing wrong. Uh, He just, there were a couple of occasions he held the ball too long. Um, He locked onto receivers more than once. Um, really telegraphed where he was going. So it was a mixed result for Tanner Mordecai. He had also had some really nice throws mixed in there. 
I mean, his, his pass to Shimmery DK for a touchdown was was nice. Uh, he threw about seven or eight passes to Braylon Allen, um, all short gainers. Uh, Wisconsin really working the short gain uh, passing game. And maybe that was intentional. Um, maybe they didn't want to show anything to an upcoming opponent. <laughs> I don't know what you're afraid of showing an, uh, an opponent if you've got an air raid offense. But um, they didn't show much of anything at all. They, other than the fact that they can literally bludgeon a Mac team to death with their running back combo, Chesmalusi an 89 yard touchdown run. Obviously, his career long. Chesmalusi looked really good. A healthy, uh, fully rested Chesmalusi is a dangerous, dangerous running back. And um, Braylon Allen, also fully healthy, is an absolute uh, hammer of a back who knocked down multiple Buffalo defenders, just pile them into the ground. So that was, that was the good end of things um, that first of all, they win obviously uh, 38 to 17, a 21 point win. I don't know. I don't believe that covered, but it was enough of a win where you're like, you know, this, this felt uncomfortable in spots. They had a very low scoring uh, first half, but you know, it's, it's the first game of the year in a new offensive and a new defensive system, I don't expect perfection. That will not suffice um, this upcoming weekend, but we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, I kind of want to do something new here, and I'm going to introduce a misery index. And I I, I don't really want to fully roll it out, um, but I am going to identify three players who kind of had a game that they didn't want to have or didn't need to have. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to rate that on a one to 10 scale. I don't know if I'm doing that correctly. I may have to adjust that, but um, starting off with the, the person who had the worst game on the misery index, as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to give it like a, an 8.5. Kamoe Latu had a terrible terrible game uh multiple missed tackles uh gave up a touchdown reception where he was completely fooled um down by the end zone um the original he they were buffalo got down into the red zone because of a, a busted coverage on the part of the defense i don't know who to blame for it alexander smith looked like he was the guy in coverage but it was essentially a wheel route where the receiver just ran right past everybody. Uh, but that set them up. And then uh, a, a wide receiver ran a, a simple inside dig and then out to the corner of the end zone. And Kamoi Latu ate all of that inside dig. And he was 10 yards away from the wide receiver by the time he caught the football. It was, it was embarrassing to see. It was even more embarrassing to watch him whiff on tackle after tackle after tackle. Uh, if it was high school or not a major college program, he would probably be riding the bench against Washington State. As it is, I think they're going to give him another shot. But if that happens, again, Kamoi Latu can't play. Um, he was he was directly responsible for a number of, of bad plays on defense. And it just can't happen. The only reason he's escaping with an 8.5 is because he didn't give up more points than he did. But he had an awful game. Oh, it was bad. And that's without rewatching it or anything. I was vividly, I vividly recall it. I'm like, that's Kamoi Laju again. That's another mistake. Boy, it was really bad. Um, next up on the misery index, like a, I'm going to say like a 6.5. Skylar Bell was a starter last year. This year looked like it was going to be, you know, a, a time for him to break out in the slot in an air raid offense. And Will Pauling uh, ate his cheese and got the starting spot. So Skylar Bell kind of has to pick his moments to make an impact. He had every opportunity to make a huge play uh, that would have really gotten everyone excited. And like I said, he just absolutely completely dropped a touchdown pass. Um which is embarrassing to begin with, but to drop it when you're that wide open. He was wide open between two defenders. I mean, no one was going to catch him. And to not secure the ball first and then turn up field. And, you know, even if even if you get tackled short of the end zone, at least you have the catch. 
Um, it looked really bad. So Skylar Bell not in any uh, sort of position to reclaim his starting spot in the slot. Uh, Will Pauling had a couple of actually nice receptions. So <sighs> not a good day for Skylar Bell. Finally, on the misery index, and this isn't because it's necessarily really bad play, um, but a 3.5, I'm going to put Tanner Bordellini. Uh, Tanner Bordellini is not a guy who wants to play center. He can play it, and he's passable, and he shows you really good potential, but he cannot snap in the shotgun formation to save his soul. Too many floated snaps. He didn't, thankfully, snap it over the quarterback's head or through his legs. Uh, there were no skip passes to the quarterback. But uh, Tanner Mordecai's timing was thrown off a number of times by snaps. It just sort of fluttered like a duck back there. And um, you can't have that from your center. Wisconsin really badly needs Jason Renfro back. And I think I said this last uh, last episode. They're going to have to go out in the transfer portal and get another center if Renfro can't go this year because there's no way you can trust him. So Wisconsin needs Renfro back. Uh, I almost gave that third spot to C.J. Getz, uh, who was praised for his increased pass rush ability uh, coming into his sixth year and did absolutely nothing on Saturday. Not a, I, I don't even remember hearing his name called uh, on a tackle or anything. And Getz is, the, like I said, this is his sixth year. He was modestly productive last year. Um, to not get anything done against a MAC team is a really bad look. Wisconsin's pass rush was just really bad. Um, Ryan Herrings from Lockdown will say it wasn't that bad. It wasn't great either. And, um, you know, Getz is one of those guys, that 2018 recruiting class, which absolutely set Wisconsin football back, I believe, uh, to the situation they found themselves in the last couple of years because so many players were flat out busts, uh, remains a class that is just an utter mystery. Outside of Jack Sanborn, I don't know any guy in that class. There might be, I might be forgetting a couple of guys, but otherwise they're all, they, they're just a bunch of average dudes. Uh, they were average rated recruits and they are playing like they were average rated recruits. It seems like everyone was really misread in that class. So CJ Getz was a guy who couldn't find a job at defensive end, uh, kept bouncing back and forth, finally settled in an outside linebacker. It looked like he might be solid. A lot of guys that I thought would be solid going into this year had bad games against Buffalo. So we'll have to wait and see. Here we go. There's my favorite phrase. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, for the rest of the season, but Alexander Smith, Travian Blaylock, um, CJ Getz, and uh, uh, oh, it's that guard again, whose name I can't remember. Never can remember his name. Michael Furtney, there, it finally popped into my brain. God, that took forever. All those guys uh, in their sixth year, Still not making an impact. When you've reached like your fourth year, usually in college, and you haven't made an impact yet, probably time to hit the hit the showers. But uh, these guys are in their sixth year and nobody's really playing well. I have a feeling for Travian Blaylock, that's more injury related, but still. Um, anyway, enough of enough of the misery index. Um, let's get to Washington State. Washington State creamed Colorado State last week. Um, I don't know how bad Colorado State is. They're not great. Um, they got beat up 50 to 24. They scored 21 of their 24 points in the fourth quarter, basically when the game was already out of reach, 29 to 3. Even with those 21 points, they still would have lost, even if Washington State hadn't scored again. And Washington State, Washington State scored 21 points in the fourth quarter. Cameron Ward, the guy that everyone is utterly terrified of, um, he had 450 yards of, uh, total offense. I'm sorry, 450 yards passing 40 more on the ground. He had almost 500 total yards and four total touchdowns. Um, just a, a guy you don't want to let get loose out of the pocket. <laughs> a guy you have to keep pressure on in the pocket. And he beat up Colorado state, uh, Washington state in general, beat up Colorado state. Now, like I said, Colorado State's a bad team. 
I, at least they were bad last year. I don't know what the rest of the year holds for them, but they're not having the reputation of being like one of the top teams in the Mountain West Conference, at least not yet. So I don't know what to draw out of that. Um, but Washington State did put 50 points on the board, which is, you know, 12 more points than Wisconsin did against a, a similarly like middle of the pack Mac team in Buffalo. That being said, uh, Washington State going into this game is going to have a lot going for them. They're at home. They're in the Palouse. They're, at, they're in Pullman. Uh, it's a smaller stadium. going to be packed full of people. They're going to be rabid. Uh, they're angry at the Big Ten already. Wisconsin seems like the perfect whipping boy for this. Uh, Wisconsin's not an overwhelmingly great team. And to be honest, I think, I think like some of the Big Ten's bigger powers right now as a lot of the Pac-12 teams that are moving into the Big Ten next season have had, would also have trouble in the Palouse. I think Penn State and Michigan and Ohio State would absolutely have difficulties. Uh, it's They're an underrated team, and it's a hard place to play in. Wisconsin did not show anything special in that game against, uh, against Buffalo. Um, Washington State did show something special against uh, Colorado State. So there's that weighing into the factors. Jordan Turner is going to be missing for the first half of this game because he got kicked out in the second half of uh, the Buffalo game for targeting. Uh, a penalty which I think is incredibly stupid um, because there's targeting and there's targeting and then there's targeting. Um, and to suspend a guy for an entire game um, because he, he might have you know tackled the guy wrong seems stupid. Um, I didn't see that. Unfortunately, I didn't see the hit. I missed most of the fourth quarter at aforementioned uh, in-laws dinner. But um, I don't know that it was malicious. If it, if it seemed like it was a malicious hit, I take it all back. But for the most part, these targeting calls seem to be like, oops, I, I ducked my head or I you were ducking and I hit you in the head. And I think it's a stupid penalty. But regardless, um, he's ejected for the first half. Tackling and impact plays from the defense. Wisconsin absolutely has to have those. They've got to force a turnover or two, at least a couple. You got to have a couple turnovers in this game. Uh, you got to tackle well. This is a passing team. It's another different, completely different version of a, of a pass happy air raid type offense. Um, Cam Ward is a far better quarterback than Mordecai is apparently, or at least up to this point has been shown to be, um, you know, much more of a weapon to get the ball down the field. So Wisconsin's secondary is going to have to play way better than they did against Buffalo. They've got to make their tackles. Uh, the linebackers have to be good in space. Jake Cheney and uh, Luma Jungmetter are going to have their, their work cut out for them. Make no mistake about it, Wisconsin wants a little bit of revenge. That was an embarrassing loss. I said at the top of the show, embarrassing loss last year. And to now have to go into the Palouse and play the same team. And essentially, you know, going in there and their fangs are bared. And Wisconsin's going to have to come up with a little bit of nasty of their own. Defensive line is going to have to do something. They're going to have to figure out a way to get some pressure on him, on Cam Ward, because there's, there's just no way they can win without doing that. Uh, special teams. Wisconsin's punter, uh, Atticus Bertrams, was not great. Um, in fact, it, I was questioning it at a certain point in the game. I'm like, you know, does it hurt to throw in the other punter? Can we, just, can we rotate punters? Um, Wisconsin didn't do anything particularly great in the special teams area, uh, Buffalo didn't miss a field goal, but I don't believe that was really anything to do with Wisconsin. That was more to do with him just missing. So can Wisconsin uh, get their, get themselves uh, a special teams uh, blunder for, Mich for Washington State, or can they do something extraordinary on special teams? Washington State gave up a kickoff return for a touchdown last week. Can Wisconsin make something happen in the return game? Uh, to get themselves some extra points. They're going to need every point they can score. Uh, yeah, this one, this is a tough game to call. 
I don't after one game, you don't know how good teams are. So on this one, I'm gonna have to give, even though I said this was the revenge game, I don't know that Wisconsin's equipped to get revenge. They did not play with a lot of fire last week. And considering that it was a sellout, I know it was hot, but it was a sellout. It's your first game under a new coach. Um, you know, what uh what's what's gonna get you fired up if not that? Now you're gonna be in enemy territory against a team that's beaten you already that's motivated to beat you again, you have to have some sort of motivation. And I have not really heard any Wisconsin player outside of Muma Jung Mehta say anything about, we want revenge. And Muma Jung Mehta is a nice guy. So when he says we want revenge, it, it really sounds like, well, I have to say this. Um, so Wisconsin needs to get a bit of a killer attitude. If they don't have that killer attitude, it's really going to look like last year under Paul Christ, um, an unmotivated team not doing what they need to do to win. My score prediction on this one is 28-24 Washington State. Until Wisconsin can prove otherwise, I can't have the, I can't see them bouncing another Power 5 team on the road uh, unless that team is significantly weaker than the Badgers are, and I don't know that Washington State is. So I'm going to catch maybe some flack for that, but 28-24 Washington State is going to be my prediction on that one. Uh, Wisconsin's offer tracker. Uh, three scholarship offers went out in the last week, two of them to four-star consensus recruits. Andrew Babalola, who's an offensive tackle out of Blue... I, man, there's a long high school name. Blue Valley Northwest in Overland Park, Kansas. Um, there's not a lot of high school powerhouses in Kansas. I think this is Wisconsin's first class where they've offered more than one player from Kansas in a while. But anyway, um, yeah, Babalola, consensus four-star recruit. Um, all the big boys are after him. 6'6", 270, um, good-looking player. With a lot of these guys who are four-stars already in the 2025 class, you're not going to run across again and go, why well, how did this guy get to four-stars? It's just not something that happens um, because you're basically going off of last last year's film, and that's what got them to a four-star rating in the first place. Uh, another player out of Enterprise, Alabama. Man, Wisconsin's dipping into the Alabama market. Uh, four-star linebacker Eric Winters. 6'2", six six yeah, six about 195, 200 pounds, plays safety in uh, high school. He'll play linebacker in college. Uh, really fast dude, um, obviously for being able to play safety, gets all over the field. Um, just not a player Wisconsin traditionally can pull out of Alabama. I mean, a lot of, a lot of teams throughout the South are going to be after Eric Winters. So I did not, I do not spend a lot of time, um, evaluating these guys unless I hear something serious is like about to happen with them. And then I'll give them a closer look. But for the most part, I just want to look and see in general, what are they doing? Um, you know, are they really fast? Are they really athletic? You know, is it, does it pop out? Because a lot of this is sophomore, um, sophomore huddle highlights. And not every sophomore huddle highlight is, you know, going to be them knocking a guy to the ground and burying him. You know, a lot of it's going to be, well, you know, you're looking at potential. Now, with these guys, it's, it's obvious why they're four stars. Also, Wisconsin Today offered a guy who I looked at and said, how is he not a four-star? Uh, Mason Posa, who is a linebacker out of New Mexico. That may be the reason right there. Uh, out of La Cueva High School in Albuquerque. This guy off the edge was dynamite. 6'3", 210 pounds. So he's already got the frame. Uh, super fast, explosive off the edge. Just knocks guys down. Uh, tumble, tumble or tumbleweeded the guy. Just cartwheeled him right through the air on tackling him. Saw one of those. Um, his highlight film, once I got past, he had like, I think a 12 minute long highlight reel on Huddle. And after six minutes, I said, you don't have to show me anymore. I'm convinced. I have a feeling that's what the Badger coaches said too after they watched that. If they watch Huddle. I've, they probably get a more extensive set to watch, but I was like, wow. That kid's phenomenal. Such an athlete flying all over the field. Now, level of level of play that might factor in a little bit. I mean, New Mexico's not a football hotbed. 
Um, you don't get a ton of Division I uh, football players out of New Mexico every year, maybe a handful uh, that aren't going to New Mexico or New Mexico State. So um, usually the Texas schools jump all over those kids or the Arizona schools do. Uh, somewhere in the somewhere in the pack, the, what was the Pac-12 region and the Big 12 region, they're they're monitoring New Mexico to look for anything. He's got an offer from Washington. That's his only other Power Five offer. I have a feeling there's going to be a lot more coming down the road. But gosh, I hope Wisconsin getting good with this kid because he looked phenomenal. And uh, I would I I booted him right to, towards the top of my list of outside linebackers to look at for 2025 because I was like, wow, just incredible just the explosion that he shows is, is unbelievable um, let's go around the horn quick in the big 10 uh week two for the big 10 um not not looking great in terms of matchups the entire big 10 east is essentially taking a week off with their opponents uh i didn't see a single one that where i looked at that matchup and said wow that's really one that i'll have to keep an eye on uh, you kind of keep a cross eye on Indiana, Indiana State, because you want to see if Indiana can actually beat Indiana State and get a win on the board. Um, there's two teams right now that you really have to sort of look, look at, you know, kind of cross-eyed to see a, uh, a Power 5 team, and those are Indiana and Northwestern. And we'll get to Northwestern in a second. Um, but all the game, all the action is in the Big Ten West. Topping off the list is Nebraska at Colorado. This looked like a sure Nebraska win uh, three weeks ago. And all of a sudden, the line has flopped incredibly uh, to Colorado being a large favorite now. Uh, they Colorado, for those who don't know, and Coach Deion Sanders' primetime debut uh, blew, blew the doors off the TCU defense and wound up winning a three-point game, 45-42. Uh, that means their defense isn't nearly as good as the one that uh, Nebraska faced last week in Minnesota. However, this is a way better offense. So um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what Nebraska is going to do. Nebraska is going to have to put together the best game they've played in a while uh, in order to top what what I just saw. Um, I, I I got no words. They're a bad luck team. Nebraska losing to Minnesota, 13-10 uh, was the final. They were up 10-3 with five minutes left in the fourth quarter and managed to have a fumble and an interception that set up uh, Minnesota's tying touchdown and Minnesota's winning field goal. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do it. It's unbelievable. I just It, it can't be comprehended. I almost, I almost sent a, a plaintive message to uh, my my new friends at Coronation saying, what, "What do you guys have to do to win?" Minnesota looked awful, and they got bailed out by Nebraska being Nebraska. Speaking of Minnesota, they don't exactly get an off week this week. Uh, they have to play Eastern Michigan. Eastern Michigan, I would say, is actually qualitatively, and this sounds weird for me to say because I've been watching college football for so long, is qualitatively better than Buffalo. And Minnesota's offense looked, I want to say pathetic. It wasn't necessarily pathetic, but it wasn't what they were advertising. I don't think any Big Ten West team came out and did what they were advertising they were going to do on offense. Um, Nebraska was bad. Jeff Sims was terrible at quarterback for Nebraska, but Ethan Kaliak-Manis, the Greek rifle, was not much better uh, for the Golden Gophers. He had a couple of good passes. It feels like every game he has a couple of good passes, but he also had some head scratchers, and he didn't really make that much of an impact on the game. Obviously, they only scored 13 points. They had three points with five minutes left. Uh, the Minnesota Moving Company, quote-unquote, is not the Minnesota moving company this year. Uh, their tackles are solid. Uh, the interior of their line is squishy. Uh, they weren't doing much. They didn't run for very many yards. Um, Kaliak Manis got most of them. So uh, really, Minnesota's offense, if it figures itself out and plays like a normal Big Ten West offense would, should beat Eastern Michigan. But if they go out and lay another egg offensively, Eastern Michigan can beat them. 
I mean, it's not it, it's, it's not a question. Eastern Michigan is a contender in the MAC, so you can't take those games lightly. And a MAC team every year always upsets a Big Ten team. It very nearly happened this last weekend with Illinois and Toledo. Illinois had to come back twice to win that game. Speaking of Illinois, uh, they have to go to Kansas, which would be a really pathetic game two years ago. Now, not so much. Two coaches with Wisconsin ties. Uh, the blimp, Brett Bielema. Um, Bert's getting big, people. Um, looks a little scary, to be honest, in an orange windbreaker. Um, almost like the giant pumpkin. Or the great pumpkin. Maybe that's what maybe that's what Linus saw in the field. It wasn't Snoopy. Brett Bielema. Looking for food. Um, anyway. Illinois, Kansas. I actually, I kind of favor Kansas in that one. Illinois didn't look great. Um, their defense was not as good as it had been. And um, yeah. Let's see here. Iowa, Iowa State, the Cyhawk game. Iowa distinctive <laughs> created the brilliant impression of uh you know, looking just as miserable on offense as they had last season. Maybe slightly better. Cade McNamara is definitely a better quarterback. Uh, but after they went up 14-0, they sort of just sat down and played with themselves. Uh, and it was it was a close call for them against Utah State, which is one of the worst teams in the Mountain West Conference. 24-14 was the final score. Um, Iowa State isn't as bad as Utah State, so they're going to need to bring it, and they're, I believe they're at Iowa State. So I'm very curious to see how that turns out. Iowa State won last week, too, so this will be this will be a, another curiosity game. Um, we get Purdue and at Virginia Tech. Purdue losing at home to Fresno State, not a good look. Um, Fresno State is not nearly the uh, team they were back when they beat Wisconsin back in the early 2000s. Um, that being said, they sure had Purdue's number. Uh, you know, they put up over 30 points on, on offense. So um, Virginia Tech is not a great team, but there are enough of a good team that they're going to give Purdue all sorts of trouble. Purdue, if they start out 0-2, um, people are going to start to get restless. And uh, especially with Wisconsin coming up uh, in just a couple of weeks as their uh, home, home, Big Ten home opener. Uh, I believe that's homecoming for them as well. Um, Wisconsin has not lost to Purdue in forever. So I think it's been 20 years this year since the last time they lost. Boy, it's going to get ugly if Purdue gets bad again. Oh, they just got good. Um, finally, uh, UTEP at Northwestern. This is Northwestern's best chance to get a win against a FBS team. They have Howard later on in the year, which is obviously an FCS team. But based off the fact that they got rolled by Rutgers 24-7 uh, to 7 on uh, Sunday in front of a national audience, uh, and they didn't score that seven points until late in the fourth quarter, uh, it, was, it was brutal, and Rutgers is a bad team. And Rutgers made it look really easy. Um, yeah, Northwestern just looked awful. And uh, this they're playing UTEP. I can't remember if UTEP went to a bowl last year or not. But um, right now, they're really, really scratching hard trying to get anything positive. I can't see this as more than a two-win team, and they have to beat UTEP to happen. So... Um, that's one I'm going to keep a side eye on and go, uh, what's going on over there? Anyway, well, that does it for the Big Ten Roundup. All the other games are worthless, like I said. I'm going to cut it there for the week, or for this week at any rate. Uh, we may be hooking up a women's soccer interview soon, so that'll be fun. And hockey is just around the corner, starts off in October. So we got to get that uh, season previews up for the men and the women's hockey teams. Lots of hope coming uh, with that men's hockey program and all the new arrivals. I actually took a look at the list uh, earlier today, and it's an impressive grouping of talent. We'll see if Mike Hastings can do better with it than Tony Granato could. 
until next time, folks, you can follow us on Twitter at the BuckyCast. Uh, email us, thebuckycast43 at gmail.com. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, The BuckyCast, or follow us on Instagram or Facebook if you, if you so prefer Facebook. Uh, until next time, from John and the Bucky cast as, as an entity. <laughs> Peace out, people.